I'm Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Each week, we're bringing you real conversations about disability, finding hope beyond suffering, and discovering ways you can include people with special needs in your church and community. Be sure to visit us at johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast to find all of the resources that have been mentioned on the podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. You won't want to miss any of our great conversations. When disability strikes, it can be easy for someone to wonder why. Why me, God? What is the purpose of my disability? At eight years old, Kristen Hamer received the diagnosis of a genetic eye disease. As her sight grew progressively worse, she did her best to hide her loss of vision. She really didn't want to accept it. But when her visual impairment reached the point that it could no longer be ignored, the point at which she was no longer self-sufficient, she had to depend on others, and especially God. Kristen had to confront her disability head on. And today, she's sharing how she came to terms with her disability, finding God's purpose and contentment for her life, even with a visual impairment. It's my joy to be sitting down today to speak with the lovely Cause for Life intern, Kristen Hamer, who is a young woman whose loss of physical sight was used of God to gain an amazing eternal vision for ministering to people with disabilities all over the world. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. You know, At Johnny and Friends, when the new interns come, they always send out a bio of all the different people that are here. And one of the things that drew me to you was your background in social sciences and and your background in social work, which I was so excited to talk to you. I think you and I are both really intrigued by people, right? Yeah. How do they think? Why do they do what they do? I know that you really have a heart to make a difference in the world. So I was just curious, how did you come to pursue a graduate degree in social work? You have your master's, right? I do have my master's in social work. And like you said, I have all of my education is in the social sciences. So I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. I was really interested in human behavior and how people think and why they do what they do. And I really wanted to help people. That's kind of All I knew going into college, I know I want to help people and I like the brain. So I started (laughs) off in psychology. And at that point, I had no idea what I was going to do after that. I didn't know if I wanted to do counseling or um, exactly what I wanted. And so throughout college, I just enjoyed my learning experience. And then I came and did an internship with Johnny and Friends. And that's really what kind of shifted me to thinking more about social work in the macro sense, the systems mm. and the nonprofit side of things and how um, you can really make an impact with social justice and with people mm. in the community, but you can do it from you know an administrative side or a nonprofit organizational side. So through a lot of different experiences that I had in college, I transitioned from psychology into social work, and I'd love to share more about that. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear more about that. You know, I'm really interested to know, what is it like going through college and then really rigorous academia in graduate school for someone who has a visual impairment? 
Yeah, so I would honestly say that I started noticing it being a challenge for me in academics way back into middle school. I got diagnosed when I was eight years old, and so at that time, it really didn't impact me. I didn't think there was anything different, and I had a lot of vision at the time. But as it progressively mm. got worse throughout my childhood into adolescence, I really started noticing that, okay, I can't keep up in the classroom anymore. I need help. And I hated asking for help because I didn't want to be different or I didn't want the accommodations. I didn't want the extra attention. But it got to a certain point where I needed someone to step in and help me. So I had to start, you know, cutting my assignments in half. And so like, you know, a math assignment with 30 questions, I would only do 15 because it was taking me way longer than the average person. I was spending three hours on homework when everyone mm. else could do it, you know, in 45 minutes to an hour. Was this actually in class or when you took it home? Homework and in class. So in class, you know, everybody would move on to the next thing. And I was like, I'm not done. You know, oh. like I need help. And yeah. and I wouldn't ask my teacher. I would go home and run to my mom and say, mom, like I couldn't, you know, in tears, like not able to really advocate for myself at that point mm. and just feeling left behind. Um, and so as I got older, obviously I had to start, you know, advocating for myself. I had, you know, an individualized education plan, IEP, and I was able to add in some of those extra supports. But going into college, it didn't work like that. I had to step up to the plate and advocate for myself to my professors because my mom was not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And so I definitely had to speak up for myself. But one thing that I really learned was that I could do the work. I just had to adapt it. Mm. And so I had to make sure that I had the necessary supports, such as, you know, large print text, anything that I could get my hands on that could be an audio format. I had Mm. to, you know, ask my professors, can you send this to me electronically? Um, Is there any way that, you know, I can get all this stuff ahead of time so I'm not, you know, trying to keep up with everyone. I can kind of look over it ahead of time and and be prepared for what's to come. And so, you know, really taking those steps to communicate with my professors was a giant step for me in self-advocacy. Yeah, that takes courage and you have to be willing to let them in a little bit to the tender parts of your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah, absolutely. So good for you. <laughs> I I'm, I admire that. As you were going through school, you were you're talking about advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. But were there any services in place that helped you through? I mean, when we have people writing in wanting to go to university, or there's parents who are anticipating that their mm-hmm. children with disabilities will want to go to the community college or university, there's usually like, um, you know, an assistance Uh center. Yes. What was that like for you? So I went to a very small university and we did have a disability resource center. That's what we called it there. Sometimes it's disability service center. And so there in college and in graduate school, I had to, you know, go to that center. I had to, you know, let them know what I needed, share with them my personal disability. And a lot of them had never seen something similar to to my visual impairment. Um, It is more rare just because I do have some vision, but not all vision. And so explaining that to people was kind of hard. And then, you know, getting them to kind of understand why I needed certain supports, like extra time on a test Mm -hmm. or, you know, large print text or a note taker. You know, a lot of those things can be hard for someone just to say like, oh, well, we're not just going to give you all this extra time, especially on like a standardized test or something. Sure. Um, But for me to go in and advocate and say like, I need this to be successful. 
Um, So there is that Disability Resource Center. And if you make your needs known, um, a lot of times you have to have advocacy on behalf of your doctor or whatever. But if you bring that to the table um, and you come in prepared and you ask questions and you let people know your needs, they are very willing to help you be successful in college. And so, again, it's about adapting to your environment and figuring out, okay, I know that I am capable. I just may have to do it differently. That's good. And I'm sure if they knew what you were doing now, they would probably feel like, man, I was a part of that. I I, I supported her. We mm-hmm. gave her the resources and look where she's at now. Yeah, I have professors from college that kind of look back and they're so encouraged by what, you know, they've seen me kind of branch out and do. And I've had people call and say, hey, like we have some students that are interested in this or some students with this disability. And, you know, they'd really love to chat with you. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Oh, like it's such great. an honor because you know, a lot of times we get discouraged with our own disabilities and think, oh, I, I can't get a job or I mm-hmm. can't go to graduate school. I'm not capable. You know, I t- it takes me too long to write a paper or whatever the situation may be. And you just kind of give up. Right. But if you have those supports, you make your needs known and you really have that determination to work hard, it is totally possible. Love that. And you've become a mentor to other students. And I think that's such a great platform for you. You know, as you were talking, one of the things that I'm interested in knowing is, can you kind of give us a vision, if I can Mm -hmm. use that word, of what it's like to be be seeing as you see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way I like to describe it is if you were to put on a pair of glasses and you had a big round sticker on the middle of your glasses and you were to just look straight forward. Um, that's kind of what my vision looks like. Mm. I have no central vision anymore. I used to when I was younger and it has progressively gotten worse over time. So all I have right now is most of my peripheral vision. So if you can imagine reading a 12 point font text with only your peripheral vision, it is impossible. So I have to have frustrating. Yeah, it can be very frustrating at times because you can't control it, you know, and And so um, large print, you know, my depth perception is sometimes off because of that. Sometimes my color schemes are off. So communicating with people and and letting people know, you know, how I see is something I've had to learn how to do because a lot of people don't understand. Because when you look at me, you can't tell. That is true. You're looking straight at me. Yeah. And, you know, we say that you and I just ran into each other in the bathroom randomly. You know, Mm -hmm. that was our first meeting. And I remember thinking, I think this is Kristen, and I think she has a visual impairment, but Mm -hmm. she doesn't have anybody with her, and she looked me straight in the eye. So I didn't—to be honest, I wasn't really sure if I got it right. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah, I've learned to follow people's voices. Um, And so I can't see, like looking at you right now, I cannot see any of your features, Um, but I follow the voice and I can actually see more so things that are happening out towards the sides of me. Okay. Um, So a lot of times when I communicate with people to kind of figure out where their eyes are or if they're not speaking, I'll look out of the corner of my eye and then um, redirect Mm. my eyes back to them because it is respectful to, to look at people when they're talking to you. And I've had to, you know, learn how to communicate with people with my own visual impairment but it's important to let people know as well like okay you know I couldn't see you reach your hand out to me because 
I wasn't looking at you from an angle kind of Yes, thing. that's yeah. right. Because when you and I met before we were going to record, mm-hmm. I reached out my hand to you. And even then I thought, I'm not sure if you can see this or not. <laughs> and I should have touched you anyways. But here we are on the podcast at Johnny and Friends and we're learning in the moment. Yeah, so. my husband still does that. Okay. He still will make faces or have like certain ways of expressing his feelings or, right. you know, responding to me without verbal, yeah. uh, without a verbal response. And then he'll think, oh, goodness, she didn't she didn't receive that. Let me verbalize it. <laughs> we all have to work so, at communication. Absolutely. But you know what? You do it with a smile and a laugh, and that goes a long way. So yeah. I appreciate that. Well, let's go back to when you were a child. You said you started noticing your vision fading at eight. That's when I got diagnosed with oh, my visual okay. impairment. So I wouldn't personally say that I noticed it then. It was just a teacher. A teacher noticed it and told my mom, like, something's not right. You need to go get her, you know, checked. And so we went through that whole process of, you know, going to all the different doctors and the specialists because my visual impairment comes from an eye disease called cone rod dystrophy. Okay. And it is genetic, but we don't know of anyone in our family that has it. I think the Lord just decided to choose me. Mm. <laughs> and so we d- we had no idea. And so we finally got the diagnosis and I honestly didn't notice it probably until fourth, fifth grade, because I started getting taken out of class. I started needing note takers. I started needing, you know, those special supports put into place because obviously academics were getting more rigorous as you get older. Right. And so it started bringing more attention to it. And it was very uncomfortable for Mm. me. (laughs) How did you handle that uncomfortability during your elementary school years? Well, so I used the fact that you can't tell I have a disability to my advantage. So when you look at me, you can't tell. So I would pretty much pretend like I didn't have a disability as much as possible, Mm. which really turned into, honestly, people around me knew I had a disability, but nobody talked about it. Like I said, Mm. it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Like my mom would communicate it to my friend's parents, and then they would communicate it to my friends, but me and my friends never talked about it. And that You never talked about it with your girlfriends? No. It was so uncomfortable wow. for me. And they were amazing. They helped me. They knew like, okay, I need to take notes for Kristen and pass them along to her. Um, I had like these special notebooks where they could take their notes. It was the carbon paper. And then it would, you know, be on two copies and they would give me the bottom copy. So they knew Those how to good help friends. me. Yeah. But we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. So what is... What actually do you see? No one ever really asked me that. And it's not Mm. their fault, I don't think. I think it was me, you know, being so ashamed and embarrassed Mm. that I didn't want to talk about it. So they didn't bring it up. So I really had amazing friends that treated me, for the most part, very typical. And I'm so thankful for that. I went to a very small school. Not very many people with disabilities were there. And the ones that were, were off shoved in a classroom somewhere. And that Mm. was my fear. I Mm. said, I don't want, I don't want to be shoved in a classroom somewhere. I didn't want to be isolated. I don't want to be isolated. So I tried as much to compensate for my disability. I would work really hard really, really hard in the classroom. I wanted to make sure like, oh, this isn't holding me back. Like, I don't need help. Right. And it followed me. It followed me all the way up until college until I had to step out and ask for help. Well, I want to get to your college years, but I'm just thinking of teenagers. Mm -hmm. I just feel like teenage years 
for young ladies can be really challenging oh, yeah. in general. Yeah. And then add a, a disabling condition that you feel so uncomfortable about. Mm-hmm. What was that like going through junior high and high school especially? It was really hard going into high school because that's when everyone started driving. And that's like the big milestone of a 15-year-old. You get to take your tests and you get to get your license and drive. And then even further, when you get to do it on your own without the parent in the seat with you. And Mm so I missed that whole experience because I can't drive. And it was so hard for me going to high school and being the only one that didn't drive. Mm. I didn't get my new car for my 16th birthday. I was instead learning how to use a cane. I was learning, you know, the proper way of using it. I was learning how to read Braille. And it got to the point where I was so embarrassed. My vision therapist throughout middle school and high school would pull me out of class and I hated it. So she actually started coming to my home once a month instead. She's like, okay, well, we can do this in a different, you know, different setting. I don't want to take you out. I don't want to bring more attention to you because I was yeah. so embarrassed. Right. And But when I learned how to use my cane, I had to do it in the community. And I remember just feeling so, um, just so uncomfortable being on the street corner learning how to use my cane. I put my sunglasses on thinking, oh, maybe no one will recognize me. <laughs> And, you know, people would call, like, saw me and would call and be like, is everything okay? Like, because I had hit it for so long. People might have known something mm. was up, but they didn't know that it was to the extent or that it was getting worse or that I might one day need this cane. And so... So to them, it was a big transition. It was but a for big you, transition. It was a progression. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think even now, like, if you were to ask someone that I went to middle school or high school with about my disability and for them to see where I'm at now, they would probably be shocked because I was tried, you know, to hide it as much as I could. And here you are on a podcast talking about <laughs> it for thousands of people to hear. Yeah. I mean, you come a long way, my friend. Oh, absolutely. You really absolutely. Have. It's okay, been a learning experience. <laughs> yes. And you have so much to share. And I just love that. Now, what about your spiritual life? What was going on? Were you a Christian at the time? Right. So I was raised in the church and I feel like I've always kind of had that gift of faith. I've always known that the Lord could heal me if He wanted. I never questioned that. And it even goes back to when I was when I was eight years old and I was diagnosed and my mom was like pretty panicked about the situation. She had no idea what this meant for my future. And she was trying to comfort me and say, you know, Kristen, it's okay. You'll have new eyes and, you know, everything's going to be fine. And I was sitting in the backseat of the car and she still tells me this story. And she's like, you know, trying to comfort me after a doctor's appointment. I'm just sitting back like there. By like by the hope of heaven one day or yeah, just that well, God could heal you? Well, actually, she was just kind of just trying to comfort me. I was the one that said, like, I'm not worried about it. I'll get new eyes in heaven. Like I had that oh, childlike that. faith. Yes. And, and my mom still cries when she tells that story because that moment for her was just kind of like, whoa, like, This eight-year-old little girl has no worry in the world. She's like, I'll get new eyes in heaven. Like, it's fine. And seeing that, you know, experience and then walking through, you know, adolescence and into high school and where I'm at now, it was definitely a growing experience. And I couldn't have said that every single day. There were definitely times where I was asking God, why me? Why me? Mm. But I never questioned if he could heal me. I knew that he could. Mm. I just always struggled and wrestled with God. Why me? Mm -hmm. I'm in this family. No one has this disability. I was from a smaller town. 
didn't see very many people with disabilities. I wasn't familiar with really many disabilities in general. And Mm. I just thought, my sister's so perfect. She's playing sports. She's beautiful. She's doing well in school. And I was like, you know, why me? Why why did you choose me to have this disability? What is the purpose of this? Right. That's really where I questioned God. I never questioned his his capabilities of healing me, but I Mm. questioned why, you know, what do you have for me because of this? Mm. I would always, you know, say like, I can't get a job because of this. Like, how am I going to work? How am I, how am I going to find a man that wants to marry and settle down with me? Like, and, and I honestly think that it's, you know, obviously the enemy that puts those lies in your head and, and you just have to kind of overcome those. But the Lord yes. through spiritual healing was able to do that in my life through many experiences. Did you ever pray for healing? Absolutely. You did. I did. And I remember from a young age, you know, I remember clinging to, you know, Second Corinthians 5, 7 and just saying, walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, I have all this faith. Can you please <laughs> heal me? <laughs> I know that your word says, you know, to walk by faith mm-hmm. and not by sight. But can you please heal me? Mm. And you know, I knew he healed you know blind people in the Bible, yes, and he did. you know, looking at John nine, and I never really you know what I know now. I never really considered like, oh, he's doing this so that he, you know he can be made known through my disability. At the time, I was just like, hey, you healed him. Can't you heal me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just for you to have that kind of faith, even as an eight-year-old, I can just see God continuing to walk with you through those years mm-hmm. and growing your faith. Yeah. And now here you are. I mean, you were surrounded with a bunch of women as friends who were so helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Anything that stands out in your mind where, you know, people were very helpful to you and you think, man, I wish people with visual impairments had the kind of support I did. And conversely, was there any time when your friends, they meant well, but Mm -hmm. they hurt your feelings or people were wanting to help you, but they kind of missed the mark? Right. I would say for, you know, my friends and family treating me like I was just you know, an average person, they did really well with that. And that, that might was the be biggest because, blessing to you. Yes. And that might be because I did kind of hide my disability a little bit. But also, I think growing up in a family where me and my sister are close in age, we went through school together. I was treated just like anyone else mm. by them. Yes, they did support me in other ways when I needed it, um, you know, as far as driving me to school or, you know, helping me with different things like, you know, seeing the numbers on the washing machine or whatever it is, Yeah, you know, little things like that. You know, I wasn't given any special treatment, which I really appreciate. Now, I definitely had attention on me at times, but I wasn't treated like, you know, incapable, I guess. People view You weren't me. coddled. Right. Right. Exactly. So but that's it, really interesting that that was a gift to you, that mm-hmm. they expected that you would be your best you. You would be all that mm-hmm. God created you to be. Yeah, absolutely. My mom always told me, just do the best you can. That's all I ask. And so, I, you know, I would do that. And I think having, you know, siblings without disabilities also has that example of, yeah. you know, trying to not allow something like a visual impairment to slow me down. Mm. Um, There's definitely things that I couldn't do because of safety reasons or whatever, but that didn't stop me from doing other things. So I was very blessed to have family and friends that treated me, you know, normal and they didn't expect anything less or anything more. And so that was great. But as far as, you know, someone who may have hurt me or, you know, misunderstood, 
I would just say sometimes I feel like I would be inconveniencing people when they did have to show me support. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times they would, I guess, assume I wasn't capable. So they wouldn't even ask for me to to take part in something. So maybe like an event or a party or like if I didn't have a ride, they just wouldn't ask me to come. And so I I missed out on some things, you know, growing up here and there because I didn't want to ask for for help or I didn't want to ask for that assistance. And either people assumed I was not capable of doing something or they just didn't include me because it would kind of inconvenience them. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. I understand we live in a world that it's kind of like, you know, do what you got to do to get things done, you know, fast paced society, whatever. But sometimes people with disabilities and, and for me, I was kind of left on the wayside sitting at home while everyone else is, you know, having fun or whatever. But again, like, I think it's just communication and advocacy and just people don't understand disability sometimes. I think you're right. And I, you know, just getting to know you a little bit better, I can see that you are a humble, gracious woman. And yet um, what you're saying really speaks loudly to me about, hey, remember those who have disabilities, Mm -hmm. invite them, Mm -hmm. include them. I mean, just those two actions to let them make the decisions. Right. And I think um, we can make a lot of assumptions. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any myths about someone with a visual impairment? I mean, set us straight. Like, (laughs) what should we know about someone specifically with your visual impairment, but um, and I know there's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. What would you say some of the myths are and how can we debunk those? I think a lot of people just believe that we're not capable of doing certain things. Mm-hmm. So my doctor, when I first got diagnosed, he told me, you may not be able to ever drive a car and you may not be able to ever fly a plane. But other than that, you can do anything. <laughs> and so, and it's so cool because now I'm married to a pilot who drives me and flies me. And I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm good. <laughs> But, you know, and I may be able to drive a car one day with technology. You never know. Big things are happening. Yeah, but I think a lot of people assume, like, just because they have a a disability or, for me, specifically a visual impairment, I can't, you know, make it to something. I can call an Uber. You know, there there is a way. You know, it's just I do things differently. I have to adapt to my environment. But don't assume that I can't do it. It just may look different. Good word. Okay, now... Every time you talk about your husband, you light <laughs> up. So let's talk about your husband. Yeah. Can we talk about like dating and marriage? I mean, yeah. I, I would say that when we get letters from young women and men who are single, mm-hmm. who have a life-changing disability, or they were born with a disability, I think there's a lot of fears about, you said it, employment mm-hmm. and relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And you you, you were asking those same questions. Will mm-hmm. I ever get a job and will I ever get married? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how'd you meet your husband? <laughs> so I always start off by saying, we actually went to daycare together. And people, <laughs> yeah, and people are like, oh, are you high school sweethearts? And I'm like, nope, no, nope, we're not high school sweethearts. But we are from the same hometown, very okay. small. He's three years older than me. And so growing up, we knew of each other's families, but we didn't really interact with each other because we were three years apart. He actually graduated from high school and went right into the Air Force, and he went to the Air Force Academy. So he moved off to Colorado, 
And and you were living in? South Carolina. Okay. So very far. Yes. Um, while he was in college, I started going to his church. Um, I had a lot of friends that went there and just started doing a lot more with um, the church. And so we ended up having a lot of mutual friends. And so when he would come home during the holidays or during his summer break, everyone wanted to see him because he was never home. And I just kind of got thrown in the mix because I had mutual friends. And so I would get <laughs> invited to all the different, you know, summertime cookouts and game nights and all of that. And we just really connected. Our personalities just really went together. So we instantly just had that connection. But again, I did not tell him anything about my disability. You didn't. I did not. And actually, I was talking to him the other night and we were kind of talking about this situation. And he said, you know, it had to be a mutual friend that actually told him. He said, one of our mutual friends. Because you hit it that well. Because I hit it that well. And I had friends that supported me, so I couldn't drive. So one of our mutual friends would come pick me up. Um, So I was always there, you know, with everyone else. And they just assumed, oh, they live near each other. Sure. So, But eventually, you know, he did notice things. We would play games, and I'd have a friend that would sit beside me and kind of like whisper what a card would say because I couldn't read it. Mm. Or maybe if I was you know, bold enough to take my magnifier, I would have my magnifier there. You know, I never talked about it. It was very uncomfortable because for me, I did not want to be an inconvenience. I did not Mm. think like, oh, there's no way like he would ever really be interested in me. You know, he's in the Air Force. Like he's got all these dreams. And like, I have no idea what my future looks like. And so I just hit it and was like, oh, he'll be going off to college again. It won't be a big deal. (laughs) Um, But I had a friend tell him and he was just intrigued. You know, he was curious, but it didn't change his feelings for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually he did just ask me. And I'm so glad that he did because I feel like that's something that should be brought up very quickly. You do. Absolutely. Now looking back, I wish that we would have talked about it beforehand. I was still in that phase of life yeah. where I was uncomfortable and I didn't I didn't know my true identity in Christ as an image bearer of Jesus. I did not really believe that to myself to think that I was made perfect in His image and that His power could be made perfect through my weakness of a visual impairment. I hadn't gotten to that point yet in my spiritual Mm. journey. It was coming soon after we started (laughs) getting to know each other, me and Hunter. But when we first started talking, I was still very closed off to that discussion. You were working through it. I was working through it. I didn't want, you know, to shoo him away, but I also didn't want to draw him in. I was just scared of commitment and also just, you know, scared of heartbreak. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You were being protective, of course, and it makes so much sense. Okay, so, Kristen, you're on the verge of talking about pretty much one of the biggest changes in your spiritual life. You're Mm -hmm. talking about your spiritual identity in Christ. What happened? So, I was in college, and I went to a Christian college, and I knew that I wanted to pursue or at least be involved in ministry throughout my college career. Definitely not disability ministry. That was not on my radar at all at this point because I avoided anything to do with disabilities, including my own. But I was in Nicaragua. I was on a mission trip in Nicaragua, had nothing to do with disabilities. We were doing children's ministry, a vacation Bible school. And we were in a small village out on dirt roads and playing with kids. And there was a little girl with Down syndrome there. And she Mm. was completely like, you know, isolated, ridiculed. The kids laughed at her. Mm. You know, it was horrible. And I remember in that moment thinking, something's not right with this. Yeah. And I remember the Lord just breaking my heart in that moment. Like, yeah, this is not right. And you, I'm calling you to do something about it. I'm calling you to step into this 
and to be an advocate not only for yourself but for other people and that was the first moment where I stepped out and I said, Whoa, okay. <laughs> okay, that's like a big revelation right was, there in that moment. And I can almost feel like that moment again, like reliving it. Like I can visually see it and feel it. And I remember that hurdle of, okay, Kristen, you can step out and go talk to this little girl. You can go and play with her. We were playing Frisbee and all the kids, they weren't letting her play. And I went and got that Frisbee. And it was one of those things that was so uncomfortable. And then it turned into something so natural. And it was just like, wow. Okay, Lord, no, you're not calling me to do this. Absolutely not. Like, this is not what I had in mind. And so that Aww. moment, I, I remember, you know, talking to my translators about it and, you know, understanding there was this huge stigma about people with disabilities. And mm. and I had never been told that verbally. And then going back to, you know, looking at my childhood and even in America thinking like, oh, like, That is the students that are shoved in that corner classroom and they never come out when you're in school. Mm. Like I started thinking like, wow, this is an issue not only in Nicaragua, this is an issue in America. Yes. But again, I was very like, no, Lord, absolutely not. And then about four months later, Johnny came to my university and spoke because it was a Christian university. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go listen, you know, get chapel credit. And <laughs> and I went Did in Did you there. know anything about Johnny at the time? I knew who she was, but I knew, you know, about her painting and her accident. I did not know the detail that I know now, obviously. I had no idea there was a Johnny and Friends. I had no idea there was this huge ministry. I just thought that she had gotten in an accident mm. and was a painter. And that was what her, her testimony was all about. Right. And so she came and shared And I remember leaving the chapel, bawling my eyes out, and I'm not an emotional person. And I was just like, Lord, like, okay, you called me, you confirmed it. I guess I'll submit an application to be an intern and hope it gets lost in the mail somewhere. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He was pulling teeth to get me here, and I thought, oh, there's no way, like, to go out to California and get this internship at the International Disability Center. I thought it was a long shot, and I got accepted, and— The Lord made a way, and I got Mm. here, and that was my first experience working with people with disabilities. Your first. Very first. It was a learning experience for sure, and that was really—and it's funny because that was right after me and Hunter started officially dating. And so I came out to California, and I was learning about disability ministry. I was getting involved hands-on, but the Lord was— really giving me a spiritual healing of finding out, you know, mm-hmm. my identity in Christ as a person with a visual impairment, that there is so much purpose in my disability. Mm-hmm. And I was learning that and processing it and getting to that point of acceptance. And I had Hunter right alongside of me mm-hmm. experiencing that with me. And it brought so much spiritual healing. And I was just so thankful because now I see God is so much more concerned about our spiritual healing rather than our physical healing. Mm. And now I'm to a place where I'm I'm thankful for my disability. I don't pray for healing anymore. Mm. I'm very thankful for the way the Lord has used my disability. And I know that He has so much more that He wants to do, but it's taken a while to get here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always amazed at the puzzle pieces that God is putting together one piece at a time that we can't see the full picture, mm-hmm. but from that initial 
calling in Nicaragua with the girl with Down syndrome to hearing Johnny speak. Because all of this meant that you had to come to terms with your own disability. Absolutely. You had to look in the mirror first Mm -hmm. and and be before God and say, okay, this is who I am. And God, you have called me for a purpose and I'm going to trust you. Because you didn't know what was ahead. Mm -mm, No idea. So when was that? Was that in 2015? That was in 2015. Okay. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so from 2015, you were dating, you had started this internship. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfold the next few years for us. Cause here you are, it's 2019 <laughs> and you're an intern again. Yes. Love that. <laughs> so a lot has happened in the last four years. Oh Yeah. So in 2015, I did my first internship. And like I said, it was an incredible experience. I learned a lot. The Lord, you know, did a lot of healing in my personal heart. Mm -hmm. And at that point was when I kind of decided, okay, social work is where I want to go. I had had that experience in Nicaragua and I knew like, okay, this social justice stigma, like there's something wrong, advocacy, all of those things were on my heart. And I didn't know exactly what to do with it. I said, you know, I had this passion, but I wasn't sure. And then when I came to Johnny and Friends and I saw the nonprofit side of ministry, I was like, wow, that's for me. Like that's, you know, that's where kind my of brought it all together is. with yeah, you. Yeah, God just works it all and together. And so I knew that I wanted to go into social work for the um, nonprofit management, community-based practice side of mm. things. So advocacy and all of that. Mm-hmm. Me and Hunter were dating at the time, and then I finished my senior year of college. Right after that, we got engaged, mm-hmm. and then we or I moved out to Arkansas because that's where he was stationed. And so I moved to Arkansas. I got accepted into graduate school there. And so um, I spent a year there in school. Hunter was deployed for a lot of that. So I moved Mm. on my own to a city 12 hours from home. And it was wow. it was funny because I got there thinking Hunter was going to be there, and he had gotten sent on a trip, and his plane broke. Oh so, no! <laughs> my first two weeks in Arkansas, I was by myself, and I had to figure it out. And that was a growth experience in itself, you know. And so, just that whole first year, getting through graduate school and being engaged and figuring out a new city, um, the Lord, you know, worked through that. Then we got married, and as soon as we got married and I was done with graduate school, I had been telling him, I got to go back to Johnny and Friends. I need to go back to Johnny and Friends. And I was like, you need to come with me. You got to be a part of this. (laughs) And so I decided to do a global missions internship instead of staying stateside. I wanted to get out on the mission field somewhere. And so I went to Uganda, served there for about three weeks, And it was an incredible experience. And I just remember thinking, okay, what's next? What's next? Give me more, Lord. (laughs) And so now here I am doing a corporate internship and also leading one of the internships here in California. So the Lord is just continuously putting opportunities in front of me. And I'm so so thankful. I'm learning so much and I'm growing through the process. Oh my gosh. Kristen, I just see God really blessing your yes to him when you said yes Mm -hmm. okay god i will go i will go kicking and screaming for a little bit but i will go (laughs) and you know we only have a couple more minutes Mm -hmm. but 
If I could ask you one last question, yeah. you know, for you as someone who's leading other leaders now, mm-hmm. as a young woman with a disability, what kind of encouragement and advice would you give for younger women who are navigating their own disability? Mm-hmm. What kind of good, strong advice would you give to them to say, hey, there's hope? I instantly think about... Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and how he talks about his thorn in the flesh, and he begged God to take it from him three times, and God said, you know, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. But Paul talks about how he is content in hardship Mm. because in those weak places, he learns to rely on the Lord and depend on the Lord, and that's where his strength comes from. And I think when we can finally get to a place where we're okay with hardship, we're okay with our disability, and we're thankful in that place, God can do so much. And He can, can. you know, prepare something in your future way better than you could have ever planned and prepared for yourself. And so just letting go and full surrender, knowing, yes, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be so worth it, and you'll be so much closer to Jesus. Amen. Preach it, sister. (laughs) That is a good word. Kristen, you are a delight and a joy, and I love the spiritual depth of what God is teaching you Mm -hmm. so that you can encourage others. Thanks so much for being on the podcast with me today. Thank you. It's been such a joy. I loved hearing Kristen's story about finding contentment. It wasn't until she embraced her own disability that Kristen found the purpose in her visual impairment and brought her to a place of being able to minister to others with disabilities all over the world. Her strength is found in her full dependence on God. And if you're struggling with accepting your own disability, be encouraged by Kristen's story. God works through our weakness. And as Johnny says, He shows up best in our weakness. God uses our weaknesses to demonstrate His power. As Kristen shared, surrender to Him and He will strengthen you and give you full acceptance of who He designed you to be. I'd love for you to see more of Kristen's story. And right now on the podcast page of the Johnny and Friends website, you can watch Kristen travel to Uganda to minister with kids who are living with disabilities along with the Johnny and Friends Cause for Life internship program. Don't miss this powerful video. Kristen is also sharing a special devotional on embracing your weaknesses. So be sure to visit johnnyandfriends.org podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you can join me again next week. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Crystal Keating.